Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Today, we're going to finish our series, Where We Belong, and we're going to be in John 15, and I wanted to read that together. The vine and the branches. John 15, I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've lear- uh, that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Love one another. And so what Bridget and I are going to attempt to do this morning is take two verses, verse 7 and verse 16, and sort of um, express those out a little bit to see what Jesus might be saying to us this morning. You notice in verse 7 and verse 16, Jesus repeats the same phrase. In verse 7, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It's a similar sentiment that Jesus shares here in the same passage. And so Bridget's going to take verse 7 and then I'm going to take verse 16. Bridget, what do you think? Sounds like a plan. Good morning, guys. So nice to be with you all today. So when he says, remain in me and my words remain in you, that is prayer. Remaining in prayer, to remain in prayer, though, is is easier said than done, right? 
You have to be consistently constant. You have to be constantly consistent to remain in him, right, to remain in the word. In the book, The True Vine, it states, it's this awesome book Evan had shared with me, and I'm paraphrasing here, so if you've read it, it's not verbatim. The whole, place, the whole place of the branch and the vine is one of unceasing prayer. The healthy life of the believer in Christ is equally one of unceasing prayer. So being part of the vine is being connected with God. Remaining in prayer is a way in which that we remain connected into God because that is how we communicate to him. You ever try to be in a relationship with somebody that you don't communicate with? Right? <laughs> don't tell them how you're feeling, if you're happy or sad. For my married folks in the room, it doesn't go well if your spouse doesn't tell you how they're feeling. And you should know when something angers them, and they, but you never told them about it. But they should just know. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> My husband's actually watching from home today, so I feel like <laughs> he probably gets it. But the cool thing about God is that he actually knows, but he still wants us to tell him. And so prayer is how we remain connected to him. So we must consistently and constantly do it, right? We have to tell him how we're feeling. We have to be honest about it. But in doing that and being able to do that, you have to be disciplined, right? So we have to remain connected, and we do that. We have to be constant and consistent, and we have to be disciplined in doing it. And I know some of y'all in the room will say, you know what? It's really hard to be disciplined to prayer, right? I got a lot going on in my life. I got a lot of things that I have to do. And thinking about setting apart time to do one more thing is difficult. I totally get that. I'm a planner, too. But you see, prayer is not a task. Prayer is not something that we check off of our to-do list. Prayer should be as prayer should be like breathing. We shouldn't even think about it. And as undisciplined, I know we all think that we tend to be. There are lots of things that we do every single day that we don't think about it. And I'm not talking about the simple things like um, <laughs> making breakfast, eating. I hope you eat every day. Um, I'm talking about the things that actually requires us to do something that takes away our attention from something else, right? I'm talking about like social media. <laughs> I think a lot of us check it every single day and don't even think about it. And if we don't check it, somehow we begin to feel disconnected. I know some people feel that way, and I'm saying I want us to feel that way about God. It further states in that awesome book that the true vine, we bear so little fruit because there is so little prayer. To be a branch means not only bearing fruit on earth, but power in prayer to bring down blessing from heaven. Abiding fully means praying much. There's a pretty uh, cool dude in the Bible that I love. His name's Daniel. You may have heard of him. If you've ever spent some time in Sunday school, I'm sure you have the vivid mem memory and picture as I do as this poor child in a lion's den. 
I don't know if that scared me as a kid or brought or drew me closer to God, but that's an image that I have yet to uh, been able to get out of. If you have had the, if you haven't had the, the the chance of being able to learn about Daniel, I'm gonna paraphrase quickly. He was a man living in a home, not his home. He was living in a land, not his land. He was living in a culture that was not welcome, appreciated, valued, or wanted where he was. But despite all of that, he had risen to the ranks. But when you rise to the ranks, anybody who's ever been in any type of position of power or leadership or admiration, you know there's lots of people that don't want you there. And there are some people that are willing to do anything to get you out of that position. Daniel was not unknown to this. He had people that wanted him gone, but he had favor with the leader who didn't even love the same God that he did. I want to read to you all in Daniel 6, verses 10 through 16. Please uh, follow along with me. Now, when Daniel learned, okay, sorry, before I say that, because I'm paraphrasing, real quick. So, the people that wanted Daniel gone, they figured out a way that since they could not find him to be blameless, they found him to be blameless. They wanted him to be persecuted for the things that he was doing. And so they concocted a plan. They got the king of that time to issue a decree that said that you weren't allowed to pray to anyone but to him for 30 days. Daniel was a faithful servant of God. He prayed all the time. And so they knew they could catch Daniel in doing the very act that he did all the time to push him away. So in verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty would be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty. That according to the law of the Mendes and Parisians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That it. <laughs> what I found to be most interesting about this passage is many things, but that someone was actually trying to persecute someone for doing something good. They weren't trying to throw him. They weren't trying to get rid of him because he was an awful person. It was pure jealousy. And so when Daniel knew, right, his life, his position very much could be at stake, did he stop praying? 
Did he go, did he pray in a little corner, right? He could have did that. He could have went and hid. He didn't have to go and open the windows so that everyone could see. He was unapologetic. He, didn't, he was not concerned with the laws of the land that he lived because he knew that was not the land in which he was serving. He knew that king was not the king that he was serving. And he was consistent. And he was disciplined. He didn't do it in scripture. It didn't say he did it in an act of defiance. He did it because that's what he always does. Mm. That's what he continues to do. So when we come to God in prayer, we, we do it, right, consistently, but we also must be bold, right? The second half of verse 7 says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Being bold in the kingdom is encouraged. Some may say, well, how was really what Daniel did was bold, given that this is just what he normally does. This was just what he was doing. It was bold because he was doing it at a time in which it made no sense, right? It, it wouldn't have helped him. It wasn't going to save him. I think a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about it as something that's going to come in and protect us from the hurt. We don't think about sometimes it being so separate, right? That communication with God is so separate, so higher than what we're experiencing right now in the present that it is, it is seen as bold and it is then seemed worthless. So Daniel, of course, right, he was thrown into this lion's den. And in scripture, it also doesn't mention that he is scared. It doesn't mention that he's crying out. And, and it mentions that, right, he, Daniel remains in prayer. And I don't know about you all, if you've ever been in a lion's den yourself or thrown into a situation that didn't make any sense for you to pray to do anything else, right? So many other things I think that we are led to do than pray. When my son was born, I'm O positive. I'm not a doctor, I'm a medical professional. My son is uh, B positive. He developed a condition called ABO incompatibility. I had a really tough delivery. Really, I had, I'm not your poster child for every pregnancy book, I'll just say that. There was nothing normal, everything was abnormal about my pregnancies. So Gavin's born, and we're informed of this ABO incompatibility. What it means is that when they cut the cord, they cut it, the, some O-positive blood spelt over into his body, and it began to overtake him because his kidneys couldn't process my blood. O-positive is a very dominant blood type. He was getting jaundice very quickly, very fast, Okay. He was, the doctors were concerned. They brought in the, the head um, uh, pediatric doctor. Everyone was worried about him. They took him from me. They put him in an incubator to help zap all these things away. They were doing all the stuff about him. And I pulled him out. I pulled him out, right? All these doctors telling me what's going to happen. He may have to get a blood transfusion. And I pull him out, and I said, well, I got to pray over him. And they said, oh, Oh, honey, (laughs) 
that is so sweet, okay? <laughs> but you can't pull him out. I said, well, I'm going to pull him out because I, I really want to pray for him right now. I want him to be calm. I feel like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is here and is with us. Oh, oh, honey, you just had a very difficult labor. It's, but I pulled him out, right? And I start praying over him. And I didn't stop praying over him. And I was scared, though. I wasn't like Daniel. I mean, I was terrified because they tell you that they can, they can, the kids can develop brain damage that my healthy son can now all of a sudden become unhealthy. And I'm praying over him every single day. And then day five, I'm still praying over him. I have to be discharged. They're prepping his room in the NICU. They're still saying, oh, sweet girl, it's okay. We'll get him a blood transfusion. And I said, I think, I know prayer. My prayer, we, me and God are talking. We got to, he's coming home. Oh, so we'll get you a bed. If you want to, like, stay, we'll get you a bed, a little cot, cot to sit by him. Say so he's coming home. I said, test him again. Gavin, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the way in which they test kids for jaundice, they have to prick their little heels, okay? I am brown. <laughs> My babies are brown. <laughs> Gavin's foot was completely red. It was so, it was so ravaged. But I wouldn't stop couldn't stop praying. I kept feeling that I needed to be bold and that he was going to be healed. And they kept showing me his things and I knew it and I saw it, but I didn't, didn't matter because God and I were talking. We were connected. So they tested him one more time, literally as they are turning over my room for me to be discharged, for my son to go. The nurse runs through the door and says, it's normal. <laughs> right? Hey. Two, two hours later, two hours later, two hours, excuse me, two hours before, it was at the level where he was going to have brain damage. And so I think about that story, and I think about what Daniel was going through, but I also think about what everyone else was going through, right? The nurses, the doctors, they were anxious. King Darius, he was anxious. In Scripture, I want you to read the story. We're running up on time, and Evan has a lot of cool things to say, mm-hmm. but he was he was nervous. He didn't sleep that night. He was worried. And so what did he do? He ran straight to the lion's den to see, right? That nurse ran straight to see, like, these results. Like, maybe this girl and her God got something going on, right? Darius said the same thing. Maybe God is going to save him. They were anxious. And so when Daniel was there and Daniel calls out that, yes, my God has saved me, King Darius was just blown away. These nurses were blown away. They had already prepared a space for my son in the NICU because everything that they had known about what was happening to him, this was the logical next step. Throwing someone in a lion's den, the logical next step is death. That's it, right? I don't know if anyone ever seen a, been next close to a lion, but I feel like they ain't trying to play checkers with you. <laughs> <laughs> but he lived. He was alive. And so you see, when God encouraged us to be consistent and, and constant and to be bold, it's not, all, it's not ever, I shouldn't say always, it's not ever just for us. Those nurses and doctors are blown away. King Darius was blown away. And so I encourage you, as you continue to pray and to commune with God, to do the same things so that we can continue to advance more into his kingdom. So good. So good. Yeah, 
so good to continue with that theme that the boldness aspect of how we're to pray and and bearing fruit and what that means is that it's like this this gift of prayer and this gift of connection with Jesus it's so it's crazy because it's not for us it's just not for us but it, but it is, you know, but it's just not for us. It's to bear fruit, what Jesus says there. And I want us to, to notice here in chapter 15, those two verses again, they're similar. Remember I said the verse 7 and verse 16 are similar, but they're, they're different. Pay attention really closely to how they differ in what Jesus says. In verse 7, he says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that, remember, if you remain, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now check out 16 again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus seems to be saying here in verse 7 that when we remain, we ask, remain in him, we ask whatever we wish, and it will be done for us in order that we might go and bear fruit. But then in verse 16, he says, I chose you, you didn't choose me, that you might go and bear fruit, fruit fruit that will last, and then whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. It's a really interesting, slight difference in how Jesus is saying the two verses there, that our prayers are for bearing fruit. In essence, Jesus is saying, as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. So the boldness, the prevailing prayer, is that it's not for us, right? But it's for others. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, I've given you a fruit-bearing mission in order that your prayers might be answered. Really interesting how Jesus says it like that. This only makes sense if prayer is for fruit-bearing. Jesus wants us to receive answers to our prayers. Did you know that? That Jesus wants you to get answers to your prayers? That he like probably wants it more than you want it? More than I want answers to my prayers? Like Jesus wants that for me? And that's why he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. The words of Jesus abiding in us make us the kind of people who are not dominated by natural desires, rather are devoted to fruit bearing for God's glory. Okay. I don't want us either to skip over the chosen aspect of what's happening here either. Um, that Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you. You have to understand, this would have been crazy for the disciples to hear. When you were a student of Torah, and when 
you wanted to go deeper spiritually as a good Jew, still today, you seek out rabbi. You seek out the rabbi. Jesus is saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. This is completely backwards. Completely backwards from what people, these disciples would have been like, oh my gosh, why is my rabbi choosing me? The honor that Jesus was bestowing on them was akin to family. Saying, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And so if the rabbi is choosing, we would assume that he would choose the brightest and the best students that he could find. Correct? And we would be wrong. (laughs) He chose 12 ordinary, bumbling fishermen, tax collectors, rubbish of society. The last picked, Jesus chooses first. And there's a lesson in that for us. There's a lesson in that for us that um, ordinary people, ordinary people, our prayers matter to God a lot. A lot. You did not choose me, I chose you, Jesus says. And what did he choose us for? Well, in verse 16, he says that he appointed these disciples as he chooses us to bear fruit. And sure, we don't get to choose the kind of fruit that we bear. We may not even see any any. Uh, evidence of fruit, we may get to the end of our lives and call our lives a failure. But Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you follow my commands, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. We don't get to choose it. We don't get to choose what kind of fruit it is, whether it's peaches, apples, whatever it is. That's up to the Lord. But he guarantees us that we will bear fruit. It will come to pass. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. I hope if we don't I hope if we don't get anything else out of this series or this message this morning um, that we get this. And, and some of you have come up to me, I mean, at least three or four of you, and have said, man, this series has just been so consequential in my journey. And to Bridget as well, you've mentioned. And that's just the Lord that he sees us and that he's with us, and he's walking, and he's remaining, and we're remaining in him, and, he's, and he cares for us. But if we don't get one other thing out of this message series, I want us to get this, that all of this, is, all of this talk of connection, of remaining, abiding, of dwelling, 
um, vine, branches, gardener, it's all rooted in love. It's all, all of this is rooted in the love of Jesus, in the love that Jesus has for folks like us, for folks that claim Jesus as Savior, for the world at large. It's all rooted in love, and the work of Christ is to bring us through his death and resurrection, is to bring us to the Father, is to present us, we read in Scripture, blameless before the Father. See, all of Christ's work is, um, the, the whole work of the kingdom is to bring the earth, you and I, into unfettered relationship with the Father to make all things that are wrong right again. And that is relational. That's relationship. And so it's all rooted in love. It's Christ's work to bring us to the Father. And then look what Jesus says in chapter 16, later on in chapter 16. Check out what he says here. He's in 16, uh, verse 25, 26. In that day, you, you will ask in my name, Jesus says. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. The whole work of Christ is to bring us to the Father. And then our work becomes, not by earning, of course, all by grace, to remain in that love. The Father wants us face to face with himself. And in that place, Jesus is saying, in that place, when we're in that, here's where it all clicks. In that place is where prayers get answered. Could prayers be anything but answered when we're in that place? As Bridget had mentioned, think about um, in the context of relationship. When you are face to face with some, the the whole deal of it is that the Jesus is saying that the Father does not do social distancing, the Father does not do long distance relationship. The Father wants face to face. And that's why the veil to the Holy of Holies in the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus, his son, hung on the cross, bleeding and dying for our sins. Why? To give us access face to face to the Father who loves us so much and chose us before the foundations of the earth. Face to face. That's where prayers get answered. Prayers, pray, prayers couldn't be anything but answered when you're face to face with God. Now, you may not like the answers to your prayers, but they will get answered when you are face to face with God. And Jesus is saying, in that vein, ask whatever 
you want, and it will be given to you. And you, and you know as well as I do, we cannot play games with God. This isn't about game playing with God either. We're not like, okay, got it. We're clever, aren't we? We're like, okay, I got this one figured out. I got God all figured out. Anybody got God figured out? Please, <laughs> enlighten me. I got God all fi- Okay, great, got it. I can't, okay, get face to face with him. And then once I'm there in the inner temple, I'm asking for a Lambo. <laughs> Ferrari time. Got it, got it figured out. I'm going to ask for, you know, this genie kind of like approach to God, rub, rub the genie, rub the lamp, and here's the father. Hey, Aladdin. No, the father is not the genie from Aladdin. He's just not that. That's not who the father is. Can't play games with him. Where is it in James? James says we don't we don't have because we don't ask, or we ask with the wrong motives. And in Psalms, we read this. David writes, delight yourself in the Lord. It's all about love. It's all about Jesus' love for us and the Father's love for us. David says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, our desires become his desires for us. Our desires begin to align with what he wants for our lives, the fruit that he wants to bear from our lives. When we delight ourselves in Jesus, our hearts become free to pray the kind of prayers that Jesus is already praying for us. Did you know the scriptures This book says that Jesus is praying for you, for me, right now. Don't you want to know what he's saying? What he's praying to the Father for you? He says, you can know. You can know what I'm praying for you. When you're face to face with the Father, when you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. All of this is connected and rooted in love. 